The Golden Mike Podcast is presented by SeaDeck Marine Products. SeaDeck features non-absorbent closed-cell PE EVA blended foam that delivers the perfect combination of comfort, safety, and style. For more information, check out www.seadeck.com. That's S-E-A-D-E-K.com. Your boat deserves SeaDeck. And now, it's showtime. the official voice of Toad Water Sports for over a decade. His vocal tones have narrated the industry's biggest and most prestigious events in the world. With over 25 years of on-water experience, captivating charisma, and a command of his audience, presented by Sea Deck Marine Products, it's the Golden Mike Podcast, with the noise of the North himself, oh, yeah. Dano the Mano. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to episode 151 of the Golden Mike Podcast. Your host is me, the one and only Noise of the North. Oh, yeah, I'm Dan of the Mano. I'm recording this portion of the podcast overlooking the beautiful water from the Boathouse Studio near Orlando, Florida. And now it's time. It's time. It's time for some classic audio sunshine. Today's episode is brought to you by Tommy's, the leading Malibu and Axis inboard boat dealer globally and getting families on the water since 1981. Check out GetTommies.com online to search all of Tommy's 10 nationwide locations from the East Coast now to the West Coast as it was recently announced that longtime supporter of this podcast, our friends over there at Boulder Boats, are now a part of the Tommy's family. I am excited to help the crew at Tommy's celebrate 40 years of awesome, not just in this part one of a two-part series with Tommy's founder, former owner, an industry pioneer, and wakeboarding hall of fame honoree, the one and only Mr. Tommy Phillips. But along with these two episodes of this podcast, well, please have a look over at Tommy's YouTube and their social media as every month this year, they're going to be dropping video shorts with myself and Tommy Phillips. Tommy's telling us great stories and industry insight spanning more than four decades. So this is our first episode back after a little bit of a hiatus. I've got no major plans right now other than just doing my best to keep pumping out what I can, when I can. With that being said, it is a great time for Toad Water Sports, at least in the audio media arena. There's tons of great podcasts and content out there, and it's so available uh, anytime any place. If you're listening to any other industry podcast or have some favorite YouTube channels or general media creators that you think I should check out and talk about here on the show, maybe have them on as guests, let me know. Remember, you can email me at goldenmike at noiseofthenorth.com. You can also uh, send me a direct message on Instagram at Dano T Mano. And feel free to add me there as well as on Facebook. Make sure you like the Golden Mike Podcast. Sharing all available 151 episodes of this podcast with your friends and family. Well, that is very much appreciated by yours truly. And you can find all archive episodes of the Golden Mike Podcast on iTunes, Available on multiple podcast listening applications for Android devices. We're on SoundCloud and my website, it's called noiseofthenorth.com. Oh yeah, rate and review this podcast on iTunes or Apple Podcast, and you just made my day, my friends. Maybe you made my week. Who knows? Again, it is just appreciated. Folks, I have such an awesome guest this time, and well, next time as well on the podcast, 
We broke this one into two parts. It's the legendary Tommy Phillips. He joins us today to tell us all about his illustrious career. Tommy was a water sports enthusiast by day, a musician by night. He followed his dreams and his passions. He pioneered and he facilitated. Tommy helped move the industry forward and was one of the guys who really put wakeboarding on the map. He hosted some of the earliest wake sports contests ever and helped found the Wakeboarding Hall of Fame most recently. Tommy has become a great friend over the years, and and when the opportunity came up to interview him in conjunction with Tommy's and their 40th anniversary celebration, I was too excited for the day to come. We recorded, we filmed, we had an awesome time, and now I get to share it with you all right here on episode 151 of the Golden Mike Podcast. I'd like to present straight to your ears wakeboarding hall of famer tommy phillips well i am uh, i'm really excited that we finally get to do this um stoked the crew from tommy's has uh, facilitated you and myself we are here uh, to not only podcast talk about wakeboard history talk about your history and impact in the sport um but we are also here to celebrate 40 years of awesome and it all started with with you and uh and a couple of shops in colorado and down in florida well that's right down it actually it even goes back further than that to when i was a young kid on my 14th birthday my brother-in-law ed o'brien gave me my first o'brien ski got it from brother herb and i took it to the lake and all my buddies were flipping out i mean i could just walk through the area where everybody got their minnows and all that stuff at the lake at the little marina and people are going look at that thing man you know so i knew something was going on when when i was parting the seas with this o'brien ski it was a thing of beauty so that's where the real beginning came from talk a little bit about how you were introduced uh, to to water skiing well, I took that incredible O'Brien ski that was my gift, and I went to the lake, and I had this buddy, Larry Glover, that was a very good slalom skier, and he helped me through the the early days and got me on the deep water start, and we just go out every single chance we could get. Of course, it blossomed into tubing. We'd get one of those big truck tires, you know, with a metal stem that was about 12 inches long that would give you a scar in your side, so you had to hold the thing perfect. We'd do that. And then all of a sudden, 1964, 65, what happens? I get hooked on surfing and I bring my surfboard back to Larry's boat and we try surfing behind the boat. We weren't real successful without a out a rope, but man, we were out we had a surfboard and all the girls were going crazy and that's what was important back then. Yeah, absolutely. Were you actually riding the the surfboard behind the boat? The nine foot six behind the boat, single fin, right. Let me ask you, were you always a, a water sports guy? Like I know you said it was in your early teens that you got introduced to water skiing, but were you doing I know a little fishing, but were you doing any other like like quote unquote regular activities? Well we would ride tubes and things, but you know, no slalom skiing until I got that one you, single ski. Were you into like basketball or any like you know I I, I love like baseball, football, everything else. But besides that, you know, I became a drummer when I was in the sixth grade. I was very lucky and I advanced very quick, and I was able to go to college in the summers. And here I am, you know, I'm 12 years old and in college as a percussionist. So I had that too. And you know, as soon as the Beatles came out. And uh, being a drummer, you could get 500 girlfriends. You know, I made the switch quick, and that's where the focus was, was was music all the way through junior high, high school. Do you have aspirations at that time to become, like, a, a professional musician, get famous with it? Yes, if McCartney or Clapton would have called, I wouldn't be with you today, dude. For, for, I'd be with them. So, yeah, that was always the dream, and, and I got to do that, Dano. Later on in my life, I got to to tour and I switched from drums to guitar full time. So I've been blessed with that. But all through that, I always had my love of the water, whether it was fishing, fly fishing, 
you know, diving, uh, swimming, exploring underwater, being at the lake, a little bit of sailing. I loved it all. I want to touch a, a, a little bit pre-Tommy still, still here and talk about um, skiing and the importance that it was to you and what you were trying to get out of it. Was it just a recreational thing or did you know of um, the you know, professional skiers and competitions and stuff. Well, you know, I was in awe of them, and I would bump elbows with them in Texas some, but I never thought that I would be able. I tried the slalom course a few times, but I didn't have any instruction back when I was a teenager, so I'd get one or two two buoys, and, you know, we're behind a glass tron, and, you know, I'd lay over and pull it down four miles an hour or so. Really, my lake life and skiing life all through the, my teenager's days were just a compliment. I mean, at nighttime, you know, we're jamming. Once the sun goes down, my garage or my buddy Chris Campbell's, we're over there jamming. But in the daytime, all of us are at the lake. And sometimes we'd spend the night out there and we'd fish all night and eat a few of the fish. But it was just being in the water and being surrounded by music. That's really all I dreamed of all through my teenage days. From what it sounds like, it's like it was all about getting to that um, band room at night. Well, it, well, it was. The, the daytime was the lake. That was to blow off steam. I, my competitive dreams started once I started the store. I was very fortunate because Herb and I were really close. And Herb said, hey, Tommy, you need to get to meet Norm Speak. He is God of Colorado competitive skiing. And I was very blessed from the early days when I started the store. Norm took me under his wing, and he taught me everything in the world about the early Mastercrafts, how to drive them, how to trailer them, how to put load on the rudder. I can go on and on and tell you all that. Once I went to the 1985 dealer meeting and became friends with Bob LaPointe and Camille, Sammy, Skip, the Larson twins, I can go on and on. Scarpa, I believe, was there. I just, everything about what they did fascinated me. Their skill level was so high, but I still at that point wasn't very good. I had gone out and skied the course a few times, but I could barely make it through. I really didn't have much skill. But those guys that I'm talking about, my heroes like the LaPointe's and the Duvall's, they taught me along the way. When, when did you start noticing, um, you know, skiing and towed water sports on a, a more national or international basis? I was probably, it was probably 1980 when I first got my first HO ski sent to me in a box by my brother-in-law. And I remembered how many they sold out of their house. So I took that thing to the lake the very first day I went to the lake, I met a whole bunch of pretty good skiers that day who I'm still friends with, and there was a slalom course in the lake there. And as they're skiing, I would hear these names over and over again. And then I subscribed to the early water skier that was coming out, through, I believe, through AWSA at the time. And I would thumb through that, and then later Water Ski Magazine, and, and on and on. And those guys were bigger than life to me. I mean, Chris LaPointe, I mean, he was basically God back then. You know, if you got, you got to wave at him, I was so proud that I had an autograph photograph of him that I got at the Mastercraft meeting. So, you know, all those guys came into my life really quick, and I was absorbed by the magazines and a little bit of television footage that you could get. Very good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the story of how Tommy's The Shop started, um, the original name, the concept, and what inspired you uh, to start it. Well, starvation uh, inspired me <laughs> to start it, and I had remembered that my sister and brother-in-law did real good selling them, but uh, when I got that first ski, I went to Sloan's Lake, and, you know, I just started going up and down the lake, letting people try it. After about four boats, you know, I'd got a hamburger. A girl gave me her phone number. I'm sitting there going, and all of a sudden, a guy goes, well, I'll buy it. 
Well, I sold him the ski and I made 50 bucks. Well, being irresponsible that I was, I spent all the money. So I had to tell Herb a little false lie. I said, hey, Herb, I sold it, but I need another one right now, man. I, I got to get it quick. I got the second one sold, too. So the second one came in, and I took it and sold it, and I sent all the money to Herb. So I was like one ski behind. But as I, I, I never had a dry day at the lake. Every time I went to the lake, I got fed, and every time I went to the lake, I sold something. So I was working, selling guitars and drums and all those things, and I was playing at night, and I literally added, every time I'd go to the lake, I'd make another 50, 60 bucks selling a ski. And as time went on, everybody kept saying, man, you gotta open a shop, you gotta open a shop. Well, my sister used to own the business that was the predecessor for the slalom shop in Texas. And she goes, well, why don't you call it Tommy Slalom Shop? And I kind of chewed on that a little bit. And I thought, well, I might blank off Gary and the guys that own that. But I went ahead and did it anyway. And I called him up. And he never gave me a hard time. But once the shop was born, it was incredible. Herb O'Brien. Talk about the relationship there and maybe give us a Herb story. Well, Herb and I hit it off immediately. Herb was black sheep, much like I was growing up. And Herb was the fastest thinker ever. And he came to Denver when I decided to do my first boat show. And I had a little 8x8 eight eight pine display I made, and it had eight skis in it. And I had two life jackets, and Herb came there, and he had his snow ski stuff on and everything. And he was amazed at how hard I was hustling, because I'd go out into the main traffic and drag, drag people back. And Herb liked that. So Herb and I would start talking on a regular basis, and he would ask me questions. And I'd say, Herb, if you did this and you did this. And he would say, well, what if, no, if we only did this and we did this, if we took it another step. And so every idea tended to be expanded. And Herb and I, all of a sudden, you know, out of nowhere, Dano, I am selling more skis than anybody for Herb. What's the deeper connection with you and Herb? I think we like, Where both, did you guys meet? Like, how, how did Well, we start? were family because my sister was, was married to Ed O'Brien. So I had, I had met him through the family and I'd heard all the stories, both good and bad. And then when he started HO and I had that immediate success, Herb, well, why are you so successful? And I started telling him the things I did, how the way we answered the phone and the way we treated people when they came in and how I learned to use everybody's name in the first sentence. And he was excited about that. So he loved the fact that I was inventing a new level of customer service that he had never seen in our industry. And that led, led to later on down the road, and we'll talk about that later, of us starting the Dealer Development Center in West Palm Beach where I met Darren and Chet and Mike Ferraro and those guys. So let's talk, talk a little bit um, more about the early days of the shop. What, yes. what was it? What, like when somebody walked into Tommy's Slalom Shop, first of all, is, this is only one location at the time, correct? correct? Small, okay. 600 square feet. 600, okay, so I want to hear about this. This <laughs> shop sounds awesome to me. I mean, it sounds like it's, it's smaller than my bedroom. It, it was uh, an amazing thing because it's where I wanted to be. I, my sister, who was a realtor, always told me location, location. So there was a little shopping center right around the corner from the lake where I'd been selling all these skis. And I went over there and I asked for a space and the guy said, we never have any turnover here. It just doesn't happen. You know, everybody loves being here. It's a great location. And I went and I finally found a place in a terrible location. And I had the contract and I had a girlfriend with me at the time. And I said, you know, just for the heck of it, before I go sign all these things, will you stop in that shopping center again? I walk in the door and this guy, John Erger, immediately, he looks at me and goes, you're not going to believe this, but the guy in the middle just gave notice. And I go, I'll take it. And I signed up right there on the spot. And as the shop developed, I had every piece of inventory on the wall. So you walked in, and there was the north wall. There would be 18 skis there on an 18-foot wall. Then I had a little rack 
a vest and I was a tunnel board dealer, which was real important because Herb introduced me to everybody he knew. He introduced me to Andy Remy and Andy Remy was tunnel board and he gave me the first knee boards. I invited him up. I talked to the local skiers, skiers in the area and we had a water sports festival that included knee boarding for the first time. Wow. Yeah, that was 1983, by the way absolutely amazing what so were you familiar with other shops and what yes. were and so what specifically were you doing um different than the other shops were you, because now what you just described you know as i was growing up you mm-hmm. know through the, through the 90s and you know in the 2000s um what you described is what you'd see in you know the shops you you know you you think about you know the the, the big name shops around the country for me it was Places like Munson Marine mm-hmm. and down in Florida, uh, mm-hmm. Performance Ski and mm-hmm. Surf Tommy's. I mean, these are some of the bigger names that I, that I knew right. of. Um, but what made Tommy's different out of the uh, gates compared to any other ski shop? That Before was- I started, I went to Mellows in California. I took a motorcycle trip with a buddy, and I went to Ski World. And I went in both those shops, and I spent most time in Mellows. And I went in there. And not a single person said hello to me. They didn't ask me where I was from. They didn't ask me the time of day. I was so upset. I said, man, I'm going to get in this business. I'm going to know everybody's name. I'm going to know their children. I'm going to treat them like family. So that actually was a great inspiration because I said, if they can make it acting like that, think of what I can make treating people like my brother and sister. Wow, absolutely unbelievable. Okay, so you you started the shop, Mm -hmm. and when you started, you were selling water skis. You were selling life jackets. You were selling the sport, Mm -hmm. but you weren't selling the boats at the time, No, I wasn't. Uh, Although my very second year, Centurion was kind enough to look at me, and they had heard some rumors for some reason. They invited me to a dealer meeting, and I told them, I said, guys, I don't have $200 to my name. I can't buy any boats. They said, you know what, we're going to send you a boat. And I go, I don't have a mechanic. I don't have anything. They, they fixed a boat up. They made it perfect. They sent it to me. I sold it in a week, and so I'd sold my first boat. But the gentleman that I mentioned before, Norm Speak, he came in and goes, hey, Tommy, why don't you, you know, hey, man, I'm the Mastercraft guy. Why don't we team up and do this together? Well, I mean, you know, man, Mastercraft, that's who I really wanted. That was a godsend, just like me finding that space. I believe there was divine intervention in that. So Norm got me into Mastercraft. And Norm taught me everything in the world about the boat. So I'm at the lake every day with him. We're testing boats. I'm watching some of the best skiers in Colorado. I'm picking up technique, and it just kept blossoming. That's awesome. So I've got to ask you, when you started um, boat sales, I mean, this is, a, this is a whole new realm for you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, to me, it seems like the even the water skis was a whole, like selling that stuff. I mean, it seems mm-hmm. like it came natural, but doing it on this bigger scale. Um, talk a little bit about the difference um, between selling the boats and the skis at first. and It was real difficult, actually, Dano, because I had the exclusive on HO skis. I had the exclusive on tunnel boards. I had the exclusive on Tom Cassad's products because I learned that in the music industry, and you see that on Shark Tank. Hey, you want some, you know, that's you've got proprietary, you know, you want something exclusive you can sing your teeth into. So all of a sudden I had Mastercraft and I was trying to mark the things up a couple of thousand bucks, but the only people buying a Mastercraft Pro Star are competitive water skiers and they know what invoice is. So it was really, really difficult to make a penny on them, but I didn't have any overhead. So if I made $300 on a $16,000 boat, it was $300. And because all of a sudden I got Varney sunglasses, all of a sudden I've got two brands of gloves, all of a sudden I've got these three ropes, I'm selling those guys and their families an Eagle wetsuit or an O'Neill wetsuit. So I'm able to, even though I'm not making any on the boat, the goodwill, because I had all these other things, 
paid good dividends for me until finally the uh, the first wakeboard came boat came out later, and then everything changed. Then all of a sudden, uh, the manufacturers kind of realized that they could uh, make these a little bit bigger, make them a, a little bit, um, you know, uh, you know, maybe maybe you lose a little bit of wake, but you gain some seating. Um, mm-hmm. The Mastercraft 205 was the boat that changed everything and became the first X-Star. And I was part of that. And I had a great relationship with Mastercraft at the time. And I told them and leaned on them heavily. I said, hey, I think this wakeboarding is going to be huge. And because I, had, I was the largest scurfer dealer in the world, and then in 1990, when Herb came out with the first Hyperlite, which was a great deal because of a conversation we had on a chairlift in Beaver Creek. Because we're going up the chairlift in Beaver Creek, and Herb goes, Hey, 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 Tommy, why didn't anybody buy those ski board things? I go, Herb, nobody can get up on one. I go, half the time, I got to do a dock start, and if I fall, I get back. He goes, well, why don't we just make them compression molded? I said, Herb, if you did that, I would sell 10 trillion of them, you know, and it wasn't but a few weeks later, he, he had talked to some other guys that we were all kind of our own support group, and we could bounce any idea off Herb, and he never turned anything down. He would always find fruit in it, and collectively, we came up with this name, Hyperlite, and this guy, Paul Frazier, came up with the shape and everything, some of the first shape, and Eric Perez, of course. And once we had the Hyperlite, things really started to, to go crazy, Dano, because you could get up on them. When was the first time, essentially what I'm asking is the first time wakeboarding as we know it, um, today, or as we know it's called today, when was it on your radar? Um, what was your first impression? What was it when you first saw it? I went crazy. I was at McCormick Place for my second trade show. In that Chicago? I ever, yes, ever attended. And there was a company called Ski Master that had bought the McSki and brought it over. And they had three of them there. And I watched the little videotape and I went... And the McSki from... Australia. Okay. That was the first one I ever sold. That was a whole year before, Scurfer. I bought two of the three displays from there. I had them shipped directly to me in September and I took them to the lake and immediately started demo and demo and demo and everybody out there. And I could see people lighten up. But that first board had a lot of problems. So I said, man, if these problems with the bindings were solved, there's a good chance this thing could really explode, which led into 84 when I met Tony Finn at the same trade show. Hey, guys, quick break in the episode. And I know Tommy couldn't agree with the following message any more than he already does. I am, of course, talking about being responsible for your own wake and living that wake responsibly lifestyle When it comes to music, it's all about keeping that sound clean and crisp and within your own area. Sound travels incredibly fast and far on the water, so be respectful with that volume control. Keep repetitive passes on one single shoreline to a minimum and use the whole lake and always keep a safe 200 feet away from shorelines and docks. Etiquette. Safety and common sense go a long way. Let's practice it all together and wake responsibly. Okay, we're we're talking super low level at this time. Beginning. I mean, it's it is a blip. I mean, you really have to know what you're looking at to even identify that this is going on. But core skiers, who you are also connected with, mm-hmm. have to know that this is becoming another. Or, or that there's a new, just like kneeboarding, hey, there's a new recreational mm-hmm. opportunity for people to have fun on the water or do what they do on the water, okay? What were the core community in water sports reaction when that mixed ski made its debut or when, when, when people started seeing people um, riding these, these surfboards with bindings on the lake? Well, they didn't take it serious at all. It was just a little, it was a toy. 
But at our Aqua Festival, which had the first kneeboard tournament, kneeboarding at the time was pretty big, and it surprised me how big it was. And they had an event in kneeboarding that my friend Andy Remy told me about called stand-up kneeboarding. And everybody wanted to be wakeboarding, but they're doing it on a kneeboard. Well, they're getting 100 and 120 people at these events, and they're all doing stand-up. So I'm going, man, if we can get them aboard with some bindings and let them stand on it like, you know, a surfboard or a skateboard, which I love, they're going to be so much happier. And so when that happened, when Tony Finn came out with Scurfer the next year, and I met him at, X, uh, at the MTech. I became his largest dealer, and I took him to every tournament we had. I'm still doing two or three uh, putting on my own events a year because I felt I could do better because I would gear mine towards the novice riders. Mm -hmm. We're teaching people, and we're letting them kneeboard. We're letting them stand-up kneeboard. We're letting them now ride a, a scurfer. That's when the synergy started coming together, and I could look into the future and see a huge opportunity coming. I want to find out in those super early days, those beta days, 1984, mm -hmm. 85, 86, like I want to find out about who the early um, flag flyers of skiboarding, scurfing, wakeboarding, stand-up kneeboarding, um, people that, that were really taking it, it serious, that saw something in it, um, the outliers, the the folks that the, you know the the rest of the community was pointing at. You're crazy. This is mm -hmm. nothing ever. I mean, and and this is and I'm talking ten years prior to almost like the wars of That's right. water skiers right. and wakeboarders. Right. You know? right. Right. Who were some of those early outliers? Well, 1986, I had the first tournament. It was a scurfer tournament, and Tony gave Tony Finn gave me the idea. Well, I said I'm just going to add this to my slalom ski kneeboard event we had nine competitors show up there was a guy named brian nurnberger that really pushed me hard he says man we got we got to have contests we got to have contests so when tony finn said something about it i go okay there's confirmation i had met this little guy about my size named ed arenas that that uh, shopped next door to my store and he was a badass skateboarder and he saw that scurfer and he took it out and he immediately learned a bunch of cool tricks like a back scratcher he could take one foot off he could hang five you know he could jump big time pull the tip up and grab it i think we called it a rocket air way back in the day there was no name for it then ed blew everybody's mind and we're at that tournament we got the pa set up we got thousands of cars going by all day there's at least 110 competitors everybody wants to know what this ski board thing is and so it just caught fire and tony Clarich was there as well in fact he beat our hot shot knee border by by a hair and tony's eye on this thing and he's seeing the potential because you know tony Clarich can ride anything Right. He'd take my hat out and ride this thing across the lake. He's amazing with that. And I formed that friendship. And Tony Finn said, you know what? Tommy's got a little bit of a gift here for promoting. He's got a big following. Why don't I invite him to judge the very first Scurfer World Championship in 1990? So, Dano, everything just kept snowballing. Every good break that could come on happened to me. I got everything you could ever dream of just kept coming into my my wheelhouse. And because we were so excited about it and everybody else is so excited, everybody wanted to work with us. When did the water ski community take notice that something was happening? And with that, where did Tommy Phillips stand well, in my world, it happened, I got hired by Herb to work in West Palm Beach in 1990. And I went down there, and I'm working with Chet Rayley. I'm working with Tangy Bennett. I am working with Mike Ferraro. And there is the best water ski athletes in the world. 
you know, Amrick Bennett was there. Patrice Martin was there. Andy was coming down skiing with us once in a while. I mean, just the best of the best. The German team was there. Well, all of a sudden, late 1990, we get the first Hyperlight in, right? We're, we're in the trailer. It's pouring down rain. And we get this thing, and Tangy Bennett goes out and rides it. Goes well. The fins are in the wrong place, and they're they're too big. And blah 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 blah. So immediately we cut the tail off of it. We get the fins. We start sanding on them. We move the bindings. We threw bolt them through, and all the skiers start riding this thing between their competitive sets. They didn't know it wasn't uncool. They didn't know it was uncool until all of a sudden it is on the pro tour. Eric Perez is doing an exhibition at the Pro Tour. Well, that's all anybody would talk about. You know, to someone who has never been on a slalom ski, and I used to take girlfriends to the tournaments, and they go, they do the same thing over and over and over again. Well, she sees Eric Perez. She goes, now that looks fun. I want to do that. I think that was the beginning of the rift between the two. Now, me personally... I had no rift because I thought anything you did behind the water, and you and I have talked about this a little bit. I didn't care if it was an e-board. I love barefooting. I love sailing. I love fishing. I love jumping, which I still love to watch probably more than anything in the entire world as a guy take a cut at a jump. So to me, it was all equal, but the skiers were so threatened by it because all of a sudden they weren't the star of the show and backlash hit and it hit hard where where did you see this backlash because you talk about the first wakeboard worlds in 1990 right okay skiboard worlds would be more accurate well skiboard worlds okay but that was its own thing own thing i mean that was the start of the wwa right the mm-hmm. world week association or world uh, or skiboard right. association right. at that time i believe and what I mean, were, did you were you involved in the early days of of um, you know organizing yes w- like com- yes. competitive wakeboarding on a, a higher level than the grassroots stuff that you were doing at home? Yeah, we we, we started it, um, and there's there's some people that'll argue about that, but they're wrong. <laughs> well, we started the World Skiboard Association on the shore of Cottonwood Lake, and that was 1990. And who was there? Uh, actually, at that particular event, uh, Darren showed up and Chet were both there, too. Chet Rayleigh were there. So we had regular slalom skiing and everything else, but then we had, we had wakeboarding there. And at the end of the day, we all curled up around the one end of the lake that didn't have have any wind on it or anything. And I jumped up on a stool so I'd be taller than everybody else, and I started talking. And... And we formed the World Skiboard Association, which was the early governing body. I mean, I, we have minutes, we've got logos. Talk a little bit about the struggles that you were seeing back in those days and also like, like the opportunities that were there, maybe the opportunities that were missed. Right. Well, you know, the WSI, uh, the World Skiboard Association, was very short-lived because, you know, I had called Jimmy early on. I knew Jimmy. I was his... Jimmy Redman. Jimmy Redman. I think I was his second dealer. I had a buddy in Texas in an informal buying group, and he had, he said, hey, Tommy, you need to see Jimmy's board because I was griping to him about how the scurfers sucked and we were having to modify them and everything. We'll see Jimmy's. So, Jimmy, and I won't go into that whole history there because it's, it's, it's pretty incredible and it would take us a couple hours, but Jimmy and I became very close, and I had called him to be the head judge of my 1992 Worlds, and Jimmy couldn't make it. He got the flu real bad. But after that event, I said to myself, you know what? I'm in the business of selling stuff. I can't be the promotional body. I can't do 50 jobs. I can do 45 maybe, but I can't do 50. I called Terry Dorner, who was working at World Pubs, which was big into the, the Coors Light tour and, and all the other water ski tours. And the pro tour. Yeah, sure. and, and the whole nine years. I said, Terry, you guys need to take this thing over. And that led to, you know, the Eric Perez going and doing demos and everything. It also was 
probably responsible. Uh, I had talked to him about adding kneeboard early. So, you know, all of a sudden you got kneeboard and you got wakeboard. And the skiers, again, it was a jealousy thing because somebody that doesn't know anything that's from Nine News in, in Denver comes out and they see 15 guys doing the same thing on the slalom course and then they see Eric Perez go out, guess who they go to interview when it's over? They're sore about this. And as things started progressing, all of a sudden, you know, we I, I didn't see this, but I heard about it from Pat McElhaney, one of the legends of Wakeboard. He goes, God, man, Tommy, we go to the Masters, and they got all these nasty shirts they're wearing around. You know, what's the difference between a vacuum cleaner and a wakeboarder? And I won't go into that. But, you know, I mean, they're throwing darts at the wake community. And Jimmy is pitching this thing to the industry going, hey man, we need you guys to get involved and take this thing over, and they wouldn't bite. They kept telling us it was just a fad until 10 years later when they actually stole it from Jimmy and Shannon and started doing their own thing. And you know, I'd rather let Jimmy and Shannon talk about that particular chapter, but uh, yeah, there was a huge rift between water skiing and wakeboarding. And you know, Dan, if you look now, Wakeboarding is, and, and wake sports, I'll say, with surfing and everything, it's 95% of the industry, sure, right? Sure, Well, and that's coming from both you and me who still, uh, today, I mean, I, I love wakeboarding, and I, yeah. I mean, I love to watch it, and I, I like to ride them, too. Yeah. But, I mean, if, if you give me five sets, I'm probably going to take four of them on a slalom ski and run through the course or something. You know what I well, mean? Well, yeah, and my daughter, when we go, we spend 75% of the time you know, pulling her in the slalom course, and I pull her on her wakeboard, and it's incredible. And we all surf, and occasionally I'll go out and do a wakeboard set. But we love slalom skiing. There's just something about it. So I never looked at any of these as superior as far as the fun factor. They were all fun to us. So, and, and me being a salesman, I wanted to make money on all of them, not just part of them. Do you think that it was maybe a... Do you think that it was maybe slightly a mistake to try to put wakeboarding and water skiing together in those early days? Do you think that if you guys would have kept more of a separation, water skiing would have uh, realized more success? Um, or, or how do you think the whole situation? Because nowadays, I, I truly don't believe there's – I believe the, uh, the amount of animosity is so much less – than mm -hmm. ever before these days. I right. think, you know, I, I think that a lot of the old guard who really um, held, you know, the animosities on their shoulders, mm -hmm. those guys are, you know, either gone or, or maybe just not as loud anymore. Um, I think that wakeboarding is going through a bit of what water skiing yeah, went with through wake now surfing. with wake surfing. So um, how, do you, how do you think, if you could go back, I think it was perfect, actually. I think the way it happened needed to happen. I think there needed to be a shakeup. I think through pain of the water skiers seeing the limelight being dimmed on them, I think they did up their game some. And, and I tell you, one of the water skiers that I respect that helped bridge the gap is Wade Cox. Because Wade Cox goes, man, you guys got cool board shorts, you got sunglasses, you got all this cool stuff, you got Quicksilver, you know, you got all these cool brands out there, man, I love it all. You know, next thing you know, he's at my shop buying a longboard, you know, to go surf and, and the whole nine yards. And so then I would go to the Nationals at Okahili, and I would sell a ton of Oakleys, and I would sell reefs, and we're selling all this stuff so Yes, there were the years of pain, but I think it grew back together and the styles became complementary. I'm still in the mindset because I had an event once in Colorado Springs, but I really do. And Tony Clarich would agree with me, I believe, Tony, if you're out there listening, that you can have an event and you can have show skiing. And you can have hydrofoiling, and you can have wakeboarding, you can have wake surfing, and you can have slalom, and you can have barefoot, you can have jump, and you can have trick. And if it went over a week long, it would be the most incredible thing. That's what I dream of, is all of it together, everybody promoting each other. 
I think that's going to happen in the future. I just, I think the good Lord wants that to happen. Well, I mean, it, it, it already is, you know, events like the event that, that uh, my crew puts together up in Wisconsin, the Twin Lakes Corn Fest. I mean, that's, yeah. that's the vision that we have as well. You know, at, at the end of the day, uh, we want to figure out ways to, to bring the whole community together, amateur and pro, and make it fun and make it fair and, you know, make it less rigid and right. strict and bring it back to what it once was and the reason why we, you know, all ultimately got into it, right? That's what Tommy's was all about. Everybody, we always just kind of scratched their head going, well, it's all fun. You're at the lake all day long. All of a sudden, there's 10-inch chop. Well, if there's 10-inch chop, get the, get the hydrofoil out. Get the air chair sky ski out, you know. Or go over against the far side of the lake where you can only do maybe six turns on a wakeboard, but the, the water's glassy. We'd go over there and ride. All of a sudden, it glasses off. You're back to the other side as quick as you can. You're getting your ski on. You're getting your suit on. That's what we envisioned is everything happening. And ending the day with a bonfire, some acoustic guitars, and a couple cold ones. Tommy, I want to talk a little bit um, about your time down south in Florida. Um, I find it really incredible that that you, and I don't know of like any other shops in our sport at that time. Now it's a little bit different, um, but I mean, you you were spending on paper. I'm looking back at this, and I'm looking. You're spending your your summers in Colorado and your winters down in Florida. You're living that lifestyle. I'm living that lifestyle too. Um, uh, talk a little bit about. Tommy's in Florida. Um, Another miracle story, and, I'll and tell you. Because that that shop also, and I I feel like if if, if I'm remembering to the back of, of Water Ski Magazine and the ads, that shop encompassed more than just Tommy slalom and boats. That mm -hmm. was also it was everything I dreamed about. There's a guy named Mark Rivard from Canada, and he was also a snowbird, and he'd go down there every winter, and he calls me, goes, Tommy, it's wide open here. The other shop that was here, Karib, has folded up and left town. He says, you need to get down here and put a footprint down before somebody gets it. So I go down there, and I look for about 10 days and I go see every shopping center in the world and nothing felt right and I hated the landlords I talked to and I'm laying in my bed in this horrible hotel that motel that I rented on purpose to keep me motivated because starvation is a beautiful frame of mind for getting things done and I'm laying there and go and I kept seeing this spot over by the ocean that was perfect and what it was was this old surf shop that I loved. I thought, you know what, I'm just going to drive out that way just for the heck of it. I'm bored. I drive out there. As I drive by this old surf shop, they're putting up a piece of paper. It goes, we've moved. I pull in as quick as I am. I go around to the bait shop. I ask the guy at the bait shop, Captain John. I said, I got to have phone number the landlord. He goes, he'll never rent you this place. He hates surfers. Give me his number. I call up this fellow. We start talking. He tells me how he'll never rent it to anybody else. I'm only in town another few days, right? And I keep calling him and calling him. Finally, my last day, I got to catch a flight out that night about 6 o'clock. I go, Jack, I want the place. He goes, well, you know, he tells me everything that tore up. I go, I'll fix the electrical. I'll fix the plumbing. I'll pay you first month. I'll pay you last month. I'll pay you anything you want. And I said, if I break my word once, you can close me down. I don't have time to talk to you. i got to paint the sidewalk. And a light goes on. I go, Jack, I'll paint the sidewalk. And by God, I went down there, and he gave me this green paint. And he stood beside me, and I went all the way around that building for two and a half hours, and I painted that sidewalk. And at the end of it, he goes, you know what, son? I think the good Lord wants you to have this property. And so he rented me the place. But... Here's the best part of the whole Florida story. Couple days go by, and I need a telephone for the new place I get, right? And I go around the corner to a payphone, and I call up Bell South, and I order the phone, and this lady named Terry Hoskins answers the telephone. 
Hello, this is Terry from Bale South, and I cracked up. She sounded like one of my southern relatives. And so we're kidding each other. She goes, what's the name of your business going to be? And I said, Tommy, Surf, Slalom, and Guitar. And she started laughing. Oh, my God, that'd be the greatest store in the world. Well, in the meantime, my employees in Denver are freaked. They hate it. Tommy's lost his mind again. He's gone to Florida. He's going to bankrupt the business with another stupid idea. Right here he goes. Well, three days go by, and I get a call on the phone. And I'm pretty irritated with calls because I'm building displays, old school. And it's these guys from Bell South, and they want to come down and interview me. And I'm going, yeah, 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 come on, you know, anyway. A few days go by, and I'm in there, and I'm covered in sawdust. I'm filthy, I'm sweaty, and here comes a four-person crew. Camera guys, everything. They go, well, we want to interview you. And I'm going, this is another scam. It's going to be some multi-level marketing BS. I go, I'm going to I'm going to ham it up like they've now. I'm going to give them something to laugh about back at the, you know, Bell South. And they sit there and they film me and they ask me all those questions. And they go, okay, well, that's it. And I go, well, where's the, where's the catch? Where's the pitch? They go, well, there's none. We'll, we'll call you later on. I get a call a month later. They go, hey, good news. You're in the top 500 for this big promotion that we're doing. Yeah, 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 promotion, small motion. Boils down to, long story short, I win out of several thousand people that they're interviewing. They are going to make a giant television commercial about me and the shop and the fact that I wow. sell guitars, surfboards, everything. And they came down, and they did an endless summer promotion. They filmed for three days. I had my own crew. I mean, there's semis parked everywhere. I made a fortune on royalties on it. It went all over the world. And what was even cooler, the final commercial they put together was the top commercial in the Super Bowl in halftime. I made halftime Super Bowl commercial, the first, the last one before it went to halftime. What year was this? I believe that was in 95, the year wow. I opened it up. And is this stuff still uh, available anywhere? Can you, you know, I've got some crummy, uh, I've got one little thing of some of the tapes on disc. I don't have the original commercial, but I got quite a bit of it. But I tell you, when my commercial came out, Super Bowl, my telephone from that point never quit ringing. And everywhere I went, people would come up, I can't get my phone to work. I, you're going to have to talk to the to the people at the factory. I've been trying. I'm, lady, I'm just an actor, you know. <laughs> but that was some sweet revenge on all the employees back in Denver that told me I was being a weirdo. And that purple cow mentality of being different carried Tommy's forever from that point on, I knew that I had to be different from 10% off 20% off I had to do stuff that would make people talk about us so that was a beautiful experience Florida so sticking on Florida here now you're in South Florida with this shop yes and I would argue to say that in 2020 central florida is more of the pulse of the toad water sports scene. yes uh -huh. but in those days in the 90s and the 80s south florida really seemed to be happening and um uh you were pretty connected with with one of the top coaches and a great skier a guy by the name of chet Rayley, right uh, mike ferraro as i worked well. at their ski school for her but what i did is herb brought all his new dealers in you need to do what Tommy does. Tommy's going to teach you what he does. And so every week we had a new group. Somewhere between 10 and 15 dealers would come in, and we busted their asses. They're riding this. They're riding this. They're doing this with the rope. And I'm teaching them the tricks as far as how to build relationships and who these skis are for and who these wakeboards are. And every dealership that attended that, they really gained a lot of knowledge. Plus, every week, some guy would come and go, well, you know, well, I know how to buy cable ads for $9 a piece. Oh, yeah? How do we get those? So the other guys had learned that. Well, hey, man, I know how to get past the homeowners association and do this. And this is the way we do our boat show. And so we would exchange ideas. 
And all of those high-end skiers that were there were really involved in watching it, and they were inspired too, Dano. And is that where this HO dealer... Development Center was. Development Center. So talk a little bit on that real fast for me before we touch back on South Florida. Okay, well, we, um, we're, we're working there, and we're, we're getting all these dealers in, and i tell you, one of the prize students who I'm so proud of is Bill Porter. You know, you talk about a, performance a, ski and yes, well, a gutsy move from Herb. Sammy Duvall was king of Orlando. Sammy Duvall was doing over $100,000 with Herb, but he was doing Kidder and all this other stuff, and his loyalty was, was maybe split. Herb wanted somebody as passionate as myself, and he offered me the area first, and I was too deep in Denver to do it, so Bill... He put his arm around Bill, and Bill decided to do it, and Bill came down there. But every dealer left that thing with all the knowledge I have, plus all the knowledge in the area, and all the knowledge from the people before them. And then once you were a part of that, were you able to connect with the manufacturer and try to get your ideas uh, collectively pushed through or anything like that as well? Ideas were coming to fruition every single day and all you had to do is call Herb and I could call him at four o'clock in the morning if if he got a call from me he would take it he say what do you want on the sole it's too narrow the arch supports in the wrong place I'll fix it that was Herb he never told you you were out of your mind or anything he would just take it and run with it and he had Ferraro who's just as creative as Herb is Chet Rayleigh on the same level Tangy Bennett he had all this talent and he had the support of the traditional skiers, local surfers, guy named Scott Harwood who got inducted into the Wakeboarding Hall of Fame. He was there with his incredible surf style going, oh no, you need to do this with the fins. So it just kept going and going. It was an amazing four years of working there in West Palm Beach. The boating season will be here before you know it but it's still off season. Why not use this opportunity to give your boat that much needed upgrade? Consider adding the latest tower, tower speakers, in-boat speakers, wakeboard racks, surf racks, ski racks, even kneeboard racks, and more from Roswell Marine. Roswell's motto is quality without compromise, and you know their products will perform reliably from the moment you install them and every day after that. It doesn't matter what you want to add, be sure to use the dealer search function on their website to find the one closest to you. That website is roswellmarine.com, R-O-S-W-E-L-L marine.com. And while you're already upgrading your boat, be sure to check out SeaDeck Marine products. SeaDeck is the industry leader in innovative flooring solutions, supplying the best boat builders in the world with comfortable, durable, non-skid flooring systems. Head on over to SeaDeck.com, use the search function to find the nearest fabricator and installer to you. They have installers all over the world and they will gladly come directly to you to digitally measure, design, and install at your convenience. Just visit www.cdeck.com, that's S-E-A-D-E-K.com to learn more. It's time to give your boat what it deserves, and your boat deserves SeaDeck. Presented by Sea Deck Marine Products. It's the Golden Mike Podcast with the noise of the North, Dano the Mano. Thank you, Tommy Phillips. What an incredible story, and we're only at halftime if you catch my drift, folks. The Super Bowl, people. Tommy, you are a real legend, and we are all very much appreciative of all you've contributed. To the sports we love, my friend. Don't forget, we have one more episode coming out with Tommy Phillips, so keep an ear open for that. Until then, I do want to thank the entire team at Tommy's, and especially Tommy's here in Florida. And to be more precise or more specific, Tommy's in Claremont, Florida. Check them out if you're in town or need any gear. Plus, 10 locations nationwide. 
Colorado, Michigan. I mentioned Florida. Now with Boulder Boats in Arizona, California, and Nevada. GetTommies.com, Malibu, and Axis. They have got you covered. In addition to Tommy's, big thanks to all the supporting sponsors still with us today. I'm talking about SeaDeck Marine Products, WSIA, Roswell Marine, PCM, Marine Engines, Midcoast Customs, of course, Jane Levy, Arthur, Shabashavich, and Rich Walsh. Write us that review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, people. Follow me at Dano T. Mano on Instagram. The Golden Mike Podcast is where you can find us on Facebook. Stay positive. Shred hard. I'm the noise of the north. I'm Dano the Mano. And you can hear me next time right here once again. Oh, yeah. I'm the Golden Mike Podcast.